Introducing Venture X, Capital One's new travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars, and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel, and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. Today on the Zabecast, if the Cavs win the Stanley Cup, they will build a statue of that save. Braden Holtby with one of the electrifying moments in all-time D.C. sports history. Andy Poland joins us to talk about some of the others and just how proud he is of our toddling sports town. We got the NBA Finals beginning tonight, but as they say, if you got LeBron, you got a shot. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! Here we go! Flurry at the edge of the crease, and now the hash marks as it's dealt back in and sent across. Oh, and it didn't go! It was tucked with a wide-open net! Incredible stop by Braden Holpe. It's an adventure right there. Now watch this. The puck goes across. Tuck has a wide-open net, and the paddle of the stick, Holpe. In Washington, they'll be calling this the save. Indeed we will. The iconic call of one Doc Emmerich and the crew of NBC Sports Network. Wow, wow, wow. Happy Thursday, May 30th, 2018. Thank you for joining me. I am still on a high from last night. I didn't sleep a whole lot. I would lie. and I was up until 4 a.m. I was not up until 4 a.m., but I was up until at least 1 o'clock. I knew after that game was over, I had that adrenaline rush, that post-big game sports win adrenaline rush, which, honestly, we haven't had a lot of that here in D.C. over the last X number of years. But I had that rush, and I said, well, there's no point in trying to smash my head into the pillow because I'm not going to fall asleep anytime in the next hour. So let's just stay up and soak in the moment. We'll talk about it more with Andy Poland in mere minutes. And yes, it does make me sad that Andy and I today aren't on the radio to talk about it. I mean, I'll be on the radio today in D.C. along with Scott Lynn uh, to talk about it and to talk about it with you on the phones. But still, you know, it uh, all the years Andy and I had to preside over Capitol's letdowns and disappointments would have been nice to be together on a day like today. But hey, I deliver you, Andy, by phone today here on the Zabecast. NBA Finals begin tonight. No Iguodala for the Warriors, which I think we're starting to come around. I mean, I'm starting to come around. Others maybe have already been there. I'm coming around to just how big a loss he is. He's one of the few guys on that team that really knows how to be a two-way player, both inside the arc and outside the arc. And he's a glue guy that can help that offense get unstuck when it starts to bog down into bad threes and poor spacing 
Iguodala is like the secret sauce for Golden State. He's out tonight. So that could be an issue. And then Kevin Love is still in concussion protocol. And as of last report, it doesn't seem likely that he will play tonight as well. Game one, the point spread is 11.5. Golden State minus 11.5. And And even if LeBron and the Cavaliers are up like 15 at the half, and you're thinking, oh, I'm getting 11 as well, I'm golden. Not so fast, my friend. The Warriors turn on the afterburners in the third quarter, and they just they can flip an entire game in 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 minutes, like a hippopotamus flipping a canoe. So Warriors are minus one thousand to win the series, which means if you want to win a hundred dollars, just saying I don't care how many games, I don't care what the scores of the games are, I'm not playing the point spreads. I just want the Warriors will be champs. Okay. Give me $1,000. Okay, and uh, what do I get for that 1000 Well, if they win, you'll get your 1000 back, and you'll get $100 more. Dink, on top. Oh, that seems like kind of a bad deal. Yeah, yeah, it is a bad deal, for good reason. They're overwhelming favorites. Vegas has to try to discourage as much easy money takers as possible. Meanwhile, if you want to bet the Cavs, you're like, well, okay, I'll take the Cavs on a flyer at 10 to 1, meaning I'll give you 100, and if they win, I get 1,000. Ah, 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 ah. Not so fast. The Cavaliers are only plus 725, which means to win $725, you must bet 100. And the reason is that spread between 1,000 and 725, why, why, that's the house's cut right there. Uh, that, that's the nice margin in between the two outcomes. Injury to Durant could change a lot of things. I think that's why maybe the Cavaliers' price to win is not closer to minus 1,000, that that spread is a little bit wide from 725 to 1,000. Because if you had the Cavaliers at 1 to 10 to win it all, there might be some people going, what the hell? Well, what do I got to lose here, you know? One Durant injury. If Durant goes down with a twisted ankle, can't play, or Steph Curry, it could change everything. So why not? So I think they want to discourage perhaps risk in case there is a big injury. The series may suck, but I'm locked locked in to watch as many games as it takes for a couple of reasons. Number one is the LeBron factor. Like, I am definitely of the mindset of, hey, at 33 years old, we don't know how many more great seasons LeBron will have. This is easily one of his greatest. And I want to watch him. I want to watch greatness at its peak. And LeBron is certainly there. Even if I'm not as nostalgically infatuated with him like I was Michael Jordan, I still want to watch greatness. So that's number one. Number two is the you-never-know factor. The third reason to watch the finals is it's still high-level basketball and still high-level athletes. Number four reason, if you need a fourth reason, would be that weird shit happens all the time. Fights, scuffles, stare-downs, you name it. Nut punches from Draymond Green. So there's that to watch for. And the most compelling reason, if you needed a reason to watch the NBA Finals, is it's the end of the sports roller coaster. This is the time of year where the weather is finally warm. You're wearing T-shirts and shorts all over the place, and you're basically just, okay. Uh, The roller coaster is coming into the station. NHL Finals are wrapping up. Stanley Cup, or uh, the NBA Finals are wrapping up. It's like tradition. It's soothing. I like it, even if it looks like a crap series that could be a sweep or five games. Quickly before we get to Andy, the Brian Colangelo thing is deepening and not getting better. 
Calangelo has told selected reporters, I believe a reporter for Yahoo Sports, that he believes he's being set up and that he hopes to get to the bottom of this shortly. Well, good luck on that. Last guy I remember saying the bitch set me up was Mayor Marion Barry on a drug sting that was caught on camera. Bitch set me up. It's possible that, you know, and this is an interesting bit of semantics of if a reporter for the ringer, which they did, you know, withheld certain information, called the Sixers and said, so what about these burner accounts? And they only admit to one that is an anonymous account, not so much a burner account. And then they find four others that are suspiciously linked and behaved and went dark at the same time. Then is that setting up Colangelo or is it just good journalism? I mean, if you're a writer that covers the NBA and you have a tip that Brian Colangelo, GM of the Sixers, has multiple burner accounts, which he has used to trash the shit out of his own players and others and other GMs, what are you supposed to do? Call him and say, hey, I I think this is you, and I'm not going to report on it, but I want you to know uh, you should probably clean this up and stop doing it, okay? No, that's not what journalism is supposed to be. This is some great modern-day, rare-to-see internet digital journalism going on by the ringer, and so I don't consider that, quote, setting him up. Now, somebody else might have set him up, but the latest twist is that (laughs) NBA Twitter, which, boy, they are super nerdy, super passionate about the league, and super savvy when it comes to technology and especially social media, they are all over this. This is the greatest game ever. Find the links, decipher the code, see what hidden meanings are in certain fake screen names that might have belonged to Brian Colangelo. They're doing password reset requests that uh, pop up windows that show the final two numbers of somebody's cell phone as authentication. And they have traced that to Brian Colangelo's wife because of the last two numbers of her phone number, which someone else got on a separate document She has a different name than Colangelo. She worked for some hospital, I believe, and somebody got a press release that had her name, and for more information, call her at blah, blah, blah. That's her number. Uh, It's getting good. And you know what? It's probably, in fact, it has to be fatal. Michael McCann, who is the best sports legal writer out there, period, amen, end of story, si.com, lays it all out, chapter and verse, including NBA rules, stipulations, guidelines, code of conduct, etc., etc., etc. But the bigger point is this, writes McCann. For instance, other general managers may now regard Colangelo as untrustworthy. Ah, uh, yes. They may then become less inclined to engage in trade talks with him, especially if they worry that their private conversations and confidential decisions about player physicals could end up on Twitter. Uh, yes. For their part, players would be much less inclined to play for the Sixers if they believed that Colangelo could anonymously badmouth them on social media or surreptitiously spread damaging rumors about their character or health. Uh, yes. Along those lines, Colangelo's ability to be trusted by prized free agent players, including the big one, possibly LeBron James, could be become could become seriously jeopardized to the point where the 76ers as a team are damaged as well. Uh, yes. I think at this point he is dead man GMing, and it's only a matter of time. 
whether he's been set up or not, whether it's his wife involved or not, it just shows you a lack of discipline and really a lack of smarts that Brian Colangelo had, in which if you're the Sixers, you got to say, hey, you've done a pretty good job, but there are a lot of other guys like you, a lot of other GMs, a lot of other guys that can you know, read analytics that have been league executives. We can get somebody else tomorrow, and we don't need this headache. Even if this looks like it's dying down, what's next? What's next? What's the next shoe? What's the next skeleton to come flying out of the closet with you? I'm sorry, Brian, but we're going to have to move on. All right, it is Andy Poland time. Well, how about last night, Andy Poland? Wow. As good as it gets. As good as it gets. I know that most people don't get the actual... You hear that newspaper anymore? Yeah, no, I did. But, I was like, wait a minute. Is there static on this line? How's that possible? We're on a hard line right now. <laughs> uh, on the front page of the Washington Post sports section on fr- Thursday, as we do this, there is a still shot of the same Holtby the same. making the same. I mean, it, 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 it looks like it's actually the stick stopping the rolling puck, not the paddle from this angle. And well, what's the it, difference between the stick and the paddle in your terms? Well, the, the paddle would be the thicker part, yeah. the bottom part of the stick. Well, there's the shaft, the, and then there's the, the paddle of the goalie stick. Yeah, yeah I would say more so the, the shaft then than the paddle, the way okay. it looks in this photo. And you see Tuck through his motion, you know, like he's already swung the stick. Right. And Holtby reaching out, and it is it is just spectacular. It, I mean, there's no other way to put it. It is. as uh, and, and all the pictures online that came out last night, I said uh, on Twitter, I'm like, set as desktop background and break off knob. Like, literally never change that. It's the most beautiful picture in D.C. sports history in a long, long time. So where were you when they made the save, and just describe the scene in the Poland household, because I know Mrs. P is a ardent D.C. sports fan with every team. Was she going nuts? Yeah, but she was downstairs. I was already up in the bed. In the new house, I have now television that I can watch from the bed. How nice so, is that? Uh, well, by the way, let's nice. welcome Andy Poland to a luxury that most of us have had forever, basically. Being able to yeah. watch TV in bed. <laughs> yeah. So so I was watching, and I went, oh, my. Well, first of all. Did you scream? It, what, did you go, oh, because that's what I said. I was sitting yeah, alone. I, I, I did that, but but what's going to be forgotten, and, and look, th- there's no way that this should be minimized what he did, but to think that they killed off a five-on-three not long before that. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Yeah, which gets to the point that this team is both clutch and resilient, and they're doing things the opposite of what they've always done. Every opportunity right. to fold, trailing one nothing, getting bullshit calls, you know, go against them. Uh, five on three late. These are all the moments in which past Capitals teams would have said, eh, oh well, guess it's not our year, and folded up like a cheap Coleman tent. Yeah. Not this well, year. Well, I mean, the, the numbers are, are were not in their favor after losing game one. I mean, yeah. most of the time, team wins game one, they win the series. But uh, to, to not only come back and win game two, but to win it the way they did, oh my God, and they gave up the first goal. You know, you give up the first goal, you go, oh God, here we go again. Yep. But they didn't. They came back, and uh, man, I mean, you, you just think about all the guys who contributed, and 
Now they're going to have to possibly play without Kuznetsov. They played, what, the entire second and third period without him? Yes. And, and, to, and to think that they are now, you know, you've got to like their chances, but he's been such a key player throughout the playoffs, I, I don't know how they're going to respond without yeah. him. First-line centerman. I mean, it's not easy to go without him. Although, Ovechkin said after the game late, he said, I think Kuzi will be fine. Of course, well, Ovi is not a doctor, so he might just be yeah. talking out his ass. They always say that, and and hockey, they never talk about what the injury is other than lower body, upper body, but it looked pretty bad. Looked like he broke his wrist or an elbow or an arm because when hockey guys who are the toughest guys in the world actually show that much pain, something is usually broken. Like, you you don't see that otherwise. Okay, so I'm thinking on that save, I'm thinking of two, maybe three comps Comparable plays in D.C. sports history. Clutch, game-saving plays. And you being the encyclopedia, the Bible, uh, the (laughs) absolute dictionary of D.C. sports and moments over the years, I want to see if you can guess what plays I'm thinking of. Well, okay, you've got to put it in the context of it's not like a Super Bowl where it's one game, winner take all. Totally understood. Just a game-saving play that has gone down in iconic D.C. sports lore. What's the first one that comes to mind? Well, you know, you have to go back to 1973 with the Ken Houston tackle right. of Walt Garrison at the one-yard line. But That's that was a, f- a regular season game, okay? Uh, here, here's another save that Hold, has hold been on, hold forgotten. on. Talk about that one because the Ken Houston tackle at the goal line was the first thing I thought of was that was a huge game-saving tackle, but you say it was regular season. Yeah, it was a, it was a Monday night game, 1973. Uh, Wasn't and it, it was late in the season, though? No, I think it was an October game, but okay. it was Dallas. Okay, it was Dallas. It was so Dallas, that, okay, right. That means something, and uh, the Redskins were up 14-7, to and the Cowboys had the ball, I think, at the one-yard line, and there was a handoff to Walt Garrison, who was a tough Big old Walt Garrison. Yeah, he used to do Skull commercials on TV when you could still do Skull commercials. And uh, he spent his offseason as a cattle roper. I mean, he he was a real live (laughs) cowboy. I'm looking at the play on YouTube right now. It was October 8th of 1973. Redskins in their beautiful combination of burgundy tops and gold pants. Right. Right, and uh, and that was that was the tackle. I mean, now Houston was who's already the, a great player. Who's the quarterback then for the Cowboys? Number fourteen, Craig Morton. Okay, so Morton rolls right, throws a pass down to the one. This is when the goalposts are still at the goal line, nineteen seventy three, and right. Ken Houston uh, safety right mm-hmm. uh, grabs Walt Garrison by the waist and just yeah. you know ropes him down at the one yard line, and that saved the game. Now, here's, here's another saving comp, but it's in the Super Bowl, so I don't know if we can go this far with this one. Everybody, ah. of course, re- remembers the Riggins run. Theismann. The other one was the pass that was batted in yep. the air. Kim Camper was about to pick it off, and Joe Theismann knocked it out of his hands. That was a great, great play, and if you look at the anatomy of the game and how it all played out, that may have been – at almost as big a play as the Riggins touchdown run. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly the other play I was thinking of, and you're right. I think that would have totally swung the game. It would have been a devastating play for a touchdown off a turnover for the Dolphins. There's a third one that came to my mind after this, and it was a 
high-stakes moment in which Joe Jackson Gibbs was on his knees on the sidelines. Andy? Yeah. Yes, that was the NFC Championship game against the Minnesota Vikings, which actually wasn't supposed to take place at RFK Stadium. Minnesota had upset San Francisco the week before. And uh, Joe Montana was actually benched in that game for Steve Young, uh, who didn't pull it out. So the Vikings had the ball with a chance to tie. Excuse me, at the one-yard line, there was a pass to Darren Nelson, and Daryl Green knocked it out of his hands, and the Redskins were able to run out the clock and uh, go on to beat uh, Denver in the Super Bowl. But that was – yeah, that was a great play. Um, But, yeah, those – in terms of saving plays. Now, how about this? What is this in terms of plays of the century in D.C. sports? Where do you think this ranks? Well, it's certainly right up there. And as far as other saving plays, if uh, anyone has a suggestion that Andy and I have missed, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, email me, Zabe, at yahoo.com. Basketball, you're not going to get a block. I mean, LeBron's block in the finals against the Warriors yeah. two years ago from behind in the final couple minutes of the game, that one would be considered you know, a game-saving block of mm-hmm. sorts. I cannot remember a single... Wizards or Bullets defensive play that goes down in history. Can you? No, I really can't. I mean, it was, you know, when they won the championship, it was Wes Unseld, a notoriously poor free throw shooter who knocked down two to help seal the game. Um, but right. in terms of defensive plays, no, nothing really right. uh, comes to mind. And, and in, uh, you know, in baseball terms, we've had some big home runs, but I can't recall a big playoff catch or a defensive play or some play at the plate where someone was gunned down to save the game. Can you? Well, how about this one? Um, This was the end of the regular season. The Nats had already clinched, but uh, Jordan Zimmerman's no-hitter was preserved by a Steven Souza catch. Ah, that was a good one, although regular season. Regular season, meaningless game, really, except for the fact it was a no-hitter. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's a, it's a hell of a play, a hell of a moment, and the boys will return home on Saturday for an absolutely raucous crowd, which brings me to point number two, which is are you proud of the District of Columbia and our sports fans for filling up Capital One Arena? It was literally filled for the most part. Not only that, yeah. have you seen the shots? Outside oh, the arena? Yes. I was watching oh I was watching Comcast, which I still call Comcast. I was watching NBC Sports Washington afterwards. They did a great job covering. They had a set inside the arena, a set outside the arena, and it was mayhem. It was great. It was the kind of sporting city comes out and turns out for its teams that I always wanted for us here in DC that I would see in other places where they are hockey mad like Vancouver does this, or Toronto, or Montreal, or Boston, or Chicago. I felt really proud for our our city. Did you? It it is so great for the city. And, you know, when you think back to the 70s when they decided they were going to build arenas in the suburbs, like the Richfield Coliseum, uh, we had the Capitol Center in Landover, you you can't get that kind of atmosphere if you're – if you're outside the city. So people came down for a happening and they stood on those steps. And, you know, I mean, I'm old enough to remember 50 years ago when we had riots in the city, not far from there. And and people were afraid to go downtown at night and to go down there just to be among other Caps fans to watch the game. It was just, it was just amazing. Just really amazing. Yeah. I remember too. And, you know, before they built uh, what was originally the MCI center, same building, just different names that, you know, 
other than some Chinese restaurants in Chinatown, it was a sketchy neighborhood. And now it's one of the best neighborhoods in D.C. because there's restaurants, there's shops, there's things to do and see, and also, of course, there is the you know the arena, which is the biggest mm-hmm. component of it. I mean, your cousin, Uncle Abe, I know I call him cousin your uncle, Abe. your cousin Abe, he really did a great thing by making sure that that's where that arena went. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, you know, and it's so funny how that developed uh, about, uh, I don't know, three years before it was built. Oh, Michael Wilbon wrote a column oh, about yeah. how the, the Capitol Center, or at that point it was a U.S. Air Arena, was the worst in the league, and there was no place to go before or after the game. And Abe took out a full-page ad in the Post ripping Wilbon for ripping his arena. And then within like a year, he announced he was going to break ground to build the uh, new beautiful downtown arena. Was, so. was Abe considering building another suburban arena? No, no, okay. he was, he was, you know, he had put his heart and soul into building the Capitol Center. That was not an easy thing to do. He had to pull in a lot of favors and, you know, they were installing seats like hours before the first game was played there. I mean, it was a real down to the wire kind of thing. So, you know, he looked at it like maybe that's my life's work. And then I guess he was convinced that downtown was the way to go. And, uh, and it ultimately proved to be true. And I know football game, football stadiums are different because it's a limited number of dates, eight dates a year for the most part. But I still desperately want the new Redskins stadium to be downtown on the site of RFK because of the very same dynamic of you want to come together for a happening and be mm-hmm. somewhere where there is somewhere to be. And so it'll break my heart if they don't build it where the old RFK is. That would be great. Uh, and all indications are the Virginia thing is, is not going to happen, right? I mean, that's... that's I don't know. Year. I don't know. They're playing it close to the vest. And now that they're hiring all these guys from outside, uh, you're yeah. thinking, eh, what's going on there? But a hell of a night. Now, speaking of Wilbon, do you think he's going to give a semi-mea culpa about calling us a minor league town... Sports town after getting excited for beating the Penguins two rounds ago. Well, I think he's gonna. He's probably gonna give you, you know, win something like win the Stanley <laughs> Cup and then and then get back to me. Uh, so he's I, gonna I double know. down. Then he's gonna dig yeah. in and double down. He's not gonna say, "Hey, you know what? Hands up! I I might have been a little bit wrong on that one." Well, you know, other than the fact that he has one of his multiple residences here because his wife is from this city and they do PTI. In Washington, though, he seems to be on the road a good chunk of the time. And in Arizona a lot, which I don't blame him. I wish I was in yeah, Arizona. But, 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 yeah, he's in Arizona. He has an apartment in Chicago. So he's not really invested in this area anymore. He doesn't really do anything locally. He hasn't written for the Post in, what, 10 years, 8 years, something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, he can kind of take those pot shots as just really a part-time area resident. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, one more thing on the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. Doc Emmerich, go. Just go. Give me your thoughts. Well, I mean, uh, I, the only hockey I watch, you know, hockey to me is sort of like the triple crown in horse racing. I watch the three races. I don't watch any other horse races all year. I watch zero uh, regular season hockey, maybe a period here and there. And that's okay. That's yeah, okay. And, There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But you understand broadcasting. You understand announcers. Tell me your thoughts on the great Doc Emmerich. Well, he he just has a a rhythm with his voice that you don't even have to hear the words. You just hear the inflections going up and down. And unlike some people who we won't mention in town who are always at at the high,
high level, highest oh, level all the time. On 11 from the word go. Yeah, <laughs> that there's no place to go up. Right. So he's so he's got he's got the instrument working so he can hit the high notes and the low notes and you know I I you you don't hear every word that he says because he does talk a lot more than most announcers right I mean it's almost like he a does. radio broadcast well yeah. somebody on Twitter said man that's a lot of names he gets them all in a row like both teams flowing you know are he someone asked me on Twitter are you impressed by that and I said nothing Doc Emmerich does amazes me the guy is like watching picasso paint he's absolutely brilliant and like you said it's important that he lets his inflection ebb and flow so that when there is a big moment like there was with the save where you hear him exclaim oh my god it then it's a punctuated moment it's not lost amongst a bunch of screaming yeah exactly and he was asked i don't know if it was this olympics or the last olympics but to do the gold medal game, or no, I'm sorry, he, he, he did do the gold medal game. They asked Al Michaels to come back and do the gold medal game, and he said, are you kidding me? He said, Al Michaels I, said that? Yeah, he said, you, you, would, you would replace Doc Emmerich? You're, you're out of your mind. You know, He's the best to have ever done it. I did not know that. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Good for Al Michaels. I thought Al would have said, oh, yeah, move over. I'm in here. Yeah, right. Exactly. A lot of, lot of yeah. announcers do. Okay. Well, Al, Al Michaels you know, had only done one other hockey game before he did the 80 Olympics. Really? Yeah. And it, and it made his career. It did. It really did. Yeah. NBA Finals, Andy. Your thoughts, your interest level as it begins tonight. Cavaliers-Warriors round four. I'm happy that we're having this rematch, 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 rematch. Even though, it's reading in the paper, the actual <laughs> newspaper today. That static uh, is actually Andy's physical newspaper at his new address. They were able to change your delivery. This must have been a huge moment in the Post's delivery department. Oh, my God. I think our last customer ever has moved. Make sure we've got his new address. Not only that. Not only that, Zabe. I did uh, a shift with Tom Libero on Memorial Day. Yes. Uh, JFK that started at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning. So I left my house at 10 after 4. There was an actual newspaper on my doorstep. Wow. Impressive. Yep, yep. Okay. So from yep, the so, newspaper regarding the NBA Finals. Uh, this is what Jeff Van Gundy told reporters during a conference call. This is the biggest difference I can remember between two teams heading into the Finals in my time in the NBA. I can't think of a bigger gap from a team perspective and says it would be a huge upset if the Cavaliers win one game. Now, this is a guy, I know he's, you know, he, he's, he's a little off sometimes, but he is an employee of the network and will be broadcasting this series. He's on a conference call to basically sell it, right? I mean, that's why ABC wanted him to to do this conference call. And he's telling you this is a completely lopsided matchup here. No chance that Cleveland wins, maybe not even wins a game. Um, I don't know. I I, kind of like the fact that we're seeing LeBron in this position. And if he manages to win a couple of games, I think, uh, you know, it only increases his legend. Yeah, and that's, a con- that's, by the way, I love, that's part of why I love Van Gundy. Van Gundy is an honest broker and is not going to tap dance for the man. You compare yeah. that to somebody else on ESPN who said yesterday he believes the Cavaliers and Warriors is the greatest rivalry ever in all Let me sports. Guess who said that. Yeah. Does his name rhyme with Ike Meenberg? 
Exactly. I nearly spit out my soup, and I wasn't even eating soup at the time. When I saw the tweet and I saw the headline, and I just buried my head in my hand, Andy, and I just said, that that weasel will dance for the man like nobody else. He actually... He actually trotted that argument out. I, I haven't even listened to it because I'd be too ashamed for him, although I shouldn't be. He's a $6 million man. But mm-hmm. how can you as an adult who knows a little bit about sports actually say that with a straight face, ignoring things like Alabama-Auburn, the Yankees and the Red Sox, Army-Navy, uh, Ohio yeah. State-Michigan? I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, it's foolish. And... You know, were it not for a, a badly misplaced uh, ankle by Draymond Green to the groin of LeBron, uh, this would be 3 Three in a row, going years. on four yeah. in a row. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's not the greatest rivalry in sports. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. By the way, uh, they're now talking about adding a fourth voice to the Get Up show come football season because they're worried, Andy, that they don't have enough football expertise on the set during the crucial upcoming fall football season. Well, Mike is a big Jets fan, so I think we could get a lot of knowledge about the Jets, don't you uh, think? Yeah, but did he play in the NFL, Andy? No, but he sat alongside someone who did for nine <laughs> years. <laughs> that show's getting more and more expensive all the time, and the ratings are only a little bit better. I, I follow an account on Twitter called yeah. Tracking Get Up, and it just it's at Did Get Up Get 300,000 Viewers. And they've only hit 300,000 viewers, which is kind of the benchmark of what SportsCenter last year got in that time mm-hmm. slot. It's only gotten 300,000 viewers nine out of 41 days since its debut. Man, that's Oof. a lot of coin for a, for a show that gets 300,000. And they're going to add a fourth voice, maybe. Well, okay. I mean, fine. It's you know, so throw another. You know, they're already paying what fifteen million dollars for three people. Yeah, what's so another couple million? You know. Speaking of hot takes uh, and LeBron, uh, Colin Coward rolled this yes. one out the other day. That <laughs> yes, and and this is just so classic. You know, Coward. You know, if LeBron gets blown out in the finals, I mean, really humiliated, I could mm-hmm. see him maybe retiring, not forever, but maybe for a year. Where yeah, the yeah, right. what fucking discount shop did he buy that take from? Because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But it, it, it made Twitter, it made social media, and, and that's why it know. makes five million a year, I guess. Just yeah, say dumb yeah, shit, but... contradict yourself. Somebody put a highlight reel of every prediction Colin Coward has made since October as to where LeBron is going next year, and it's all over the map. Well, that, that's that's the network that says LeBron isn't any good, right? Doesn't Skip Bayless work for them too? Uh, he does. Yeah, so that's that's the anti-LeBron network. And LeBron, do you hear this, that he pays a million dollars a year to maintain his body? I did hear that, and I don't doubt it. And the fact that he played 82 of 82 in his 33rd year on the planet has increased his minutes in the playoffs to nearly 42 minutes a night is Mm -hmm. one of the most phenomenally underplayed stories of the entire year, I think. Yeah, I mean, he has whatever was missing in the early years when he would disappear in big moments. That's not happening anymore. Oh, no, uh, he's he's kind of won me over, Andy. And that's yeah. a tough win over because he has been so douche-tastic at times in just how he is sometimes that it's hard for me to be like, 
in in LeBron's corner, but now he's so clutch, he's so good, he doesn't have bad nights. I'm like, this guy is fucking great. Yeah. Now uh, that said, that said, uh, he he's he got some help that that was really underplayed. I don't think that people are giving Jeff Green enough credit for what he did in the seventh game, where he filled in for Kevin Love and yeah. And what he had 14 points and 10 rebounds or something like that. I mean, he really gave them exactly what they needed. And that's a guy, I mean, you talk about a journeyman guy who's come back. He had open heart surgery like six years ago. Yeah. Jeff Green, pride of Georgetown, pride of PG County, one of three PG County kids in the NBA finals. Yeah. I saw his last high school game, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Right. uh, Yeah. Jeff Green is one of those guys where you literally say to yourself, wait a minute. He's still in the league, that Jeff Green, the Georgetown Jeff Green? And you go, yeah, he's still in the league. But like you said, he had open-heart surgery to save his life and save his career. Yeah, and he he comes back and and he does that. The the opponent, look, it's great to go. For me, it's great that Golden State's in for the fourth straight year. But the Houston Rockets... Oh, my God. Now, th- this is what gets Lavero going. Through the game stinks. It's all three-pointers. When they mi- to miss 27, <laughs> 27 in a row. 27 in a row. And, and they were open, too. Yeah. When you talk about one of the great choke jobs in the history of sports. Oh, my God. That was you know, unbelievable. I bet, Tommy, yeah. I bet Tommy was out of his mind on Monday talking about that with you on the radio. And you well, and I – what's that? The game was Monday night. So oh, but, okay. But but the previous game, they had also well, know, yeah, the Celtics. Doing that. Yeah, the Celtics also missed a ton of threes. Look, for yeah. years when it was me, you, and Tommy on the sports reporters, I would sit there and listen to Grandpa Tom talk <laughs> about his preferred days of dumping the ball into the post to George <laughs> Mikan and Walton and and Abdul Jabbar, and I want that fundamental basketball. And I would gently chide him, Andy, that the mastodons of his youth are not returning to the landscape, that the game has changed. But guess what? That's true. Guess what? That's true. Guess what? I am now more of a Leveroite than ever. I, too, think the game has devolved into shit, into Papa Shot of the worst variety. Yeah, I mean, how, how can you have a team that shoots 60, where they shoot 63%? from two yeah. and then miss 27 consecutive threes and not tell Harden to drive the lane, not, not tell them to try to put the ball inside. Why, why did the, I mean, I know the game plan is to continue to shoot threes, but at some point you got to say, okay, we're going to make a change here. And, and the great coaches do that. You know, right. that's, that's, that's coaching. You, when something's not working, you go to plan B. The fact that they had no plan B, oh my God. I think if you told James Harden he can't shoot threes, he'd retire. He would retire. Forget LeBron retiring. Harden would be like, no threes, I'll retire. Reminds me of what Antoine Walker said at the All-Star break to a Japanese reporter who asked him, why do you shoot so many threes? Because there are no fours. That's what the league has become. Maybe it's time for a four-point shot. Would you move the line out to maybe discourage such rampant three-point shooting? You know what I would do, and and the league is is too successful now to do this, but you would do it in a period of time where the ratings are really down, and it was try a year without the three. Just just have a season. Wow. Like a year without Santa Claus. A year without the three. That would be shocking to the system. It would be, but you look at the scores pre-three. I mean, teams were routinely scoring 115 points. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, partly yeah, so, because you literally could not touch somebody on defense or it was a foul. Well, okay. Now, so now, little... now they're so physical and they're a lot more athletic with yeah, the exception of Pistol Pete Maravich who could play in today's game, as you know, Andy. I, I think he could. But <laughs> I know. The, yeah. the, the, but, the state but... of defense now is such that guys jump out of the gym defending shots, but you also couldn't touch anybody back in the 70s. Right, but I mean, you have a guy like Durant, who's a seven foot guard. I mean, that's you know, true. That you, didn't exist back then. We had big men who could shoot, like Bob McAdoo, but nobody could handle the ball and do all the things that Durant is able to do at his size. Right, it's right. just um, remarkable. Right. And are you happy for JaVale McGee and Nick Young once again? <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you see the interview with Nick yes! Young after the game? Yes. <laughs> I said the producer who told Ernie Johnson to interview that dumbwad should be fired. <laughs> Nobody needs to hear from Nick Young. And at least to Nick Young's credit, he admitted, I don't really want to be interviewed right now. <laughs> Did you like how he said, yeah, hey, I just want to thank all you guys for doing all this, <laughs> which means playing basketball at a level <laughs> where I can be a ride-along moron to get a ring. Well, but, you know, the, the fact that, that Golden State said to themselves, yeah, I think we could use Nick Young. <laughs> it's really oh, you know. I'm, they, they, he 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 makes so many mistakes. He takes so many bad shots. I think that they are using Nick Young almost in a forty-eight hours Eddie Murphy type way, where it's a bet <laughs> between uh, Mortimer and who was the other guy that bet that a homeless guy. No, you're just talking about trading places. Trading places. Forty-eight hours. Right. Trading places. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> that that a homeless guy could trade stocks as well as a seasoned broker. Yeah. With Dan Aykroyd, yeah. yeah. So who, who would be who would be the Aykroyd to Murph to uh, Nick Young? I, I don't know, know, but I think I think I think Steve Kerr and their GM said, you know what? Let's do this as a goof. Let's keep Nick Young on the roster, and let's give him some minutes, and let's still win the NBA title. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a great great comp. Absent really absent a better explanation, there is no other thing I can think of. Basically, when it's yeah, all said, yeah, I guess done. so. Wrong way, McGee and Nick Young on the same team. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kevin Herter's going pro for Maryland, Andy. Go ahead. Yeah, boy, I've yeah, I watched college basketball all my life. To me, he didn't look like a pro. I know. And the and when he entered the, the, uh, the draft and, you know, the ability to take his name out, I thought, okay, you know, test the water. See, see what's out there. See what he has to do for another year. Like Bruno Fernandez guess, did. But just yeah, yesterday, yeah. he said, no, I'm keeping my name in the draft. And now there's speculation that one team has basically promised him, you will be drafted by us if you reach us. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe that's that's it. But he, he, to me, he didn't look quick enough. No. Um, no, he, but he can do I, he one can... thing, and that's shoot. Okay. And but, and that's but... that's the modern league right now, like we talked about with all these threes, I guess. They see in him a shooting big wing, even though he's not a get-your-own-shot guy. And, and Maryland has had better three-point shooters uh, right. than Herter. I, I just, I, I, I'm really baffled, baffled by this. But yeah. well, but, Bruno Fernandez you know, is coming back, so at least there's that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a good. They'll have a good team. They've got some. They've got some good recruits coming in. But it just it just shows you the the fear of staying too long in college basketball because if he comes back for his junior year and he isn't quite as good as he was as a sophomore, his stock drops. I mean, look what happened to Mello Trimble. Mello Trimble cost himself millions and millions of dollars for not coming out after his freshman year when his value would have been the highest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just uh, you know, and he he's he wasn't a pro. He's not quick enough. Yeah. But at that time, 
you know, he was on the um, on the Olympic team, not not the team that went to the Olympics, but the preliminary team. Oh, really? Or whatever it was. He was in yeah, the, he was, the batch of hopefuls. Yeah, and he was oh. playing with pros, and uh, he wasn't very good. I think that's when we kind of got a clue that you know he wasn't an NBA player. But that's that's the state of the game. You don't want to stay too long and hurt your chances. All right, real quick. Friday is my fiftieth. Uh, I'm not doing anything special. I told my wife and kids I just want uh, steak and crab legs at home with a small cake. I'm already doing enough on my own to celebrate my birthday. I'm going to Vegas for Game oh, Five. Yeah. Did you hear about that? I had a listener, a listener stepped up, said he had a ticket. He said, if I can get out there, he'll get me in the building. I said, I can't refuse that. And, of wow. course, I'm going to Scotland in August for my birthday, so it's just a, a low-key thing. What did Andy Poland do on his 50th birthday? Uh, my sister threw a, a party for me, and it was, it was nice. Uh, Dave Feldman came. and uh, Where was I? Came. Uh, you were invited, but you were, I guess, not available. Um, I hope I was really. I hope I was really doing something because now I'd feel like an <laughs> asshole for just sitting at home going, "Nah, I'm not going to Andy's fiftieth." Well, you know, you would have had to cross the river, which is what? not something that either either one of us likes to do. So. Well, but I did it every day for work. What? Uh, yes, what, yes. what? What? What's the date of your birthday? August third. Yeah, you know what? I think I was in Wisconsin. In fact, okay. I pretty much guaranteed I was. So you had an excuse. You, Otherwise, you I would have had an alibi. <laughs> I mean, shit, Andy. I would have come to your birthday party, but yeah, well, anyway. it, was, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun, and it was nice. And now I'm coming up on sixty. The, uh, we'll do something big. We'll year. do that. We'll do that sixty mile bike ride for your sixtieth. Can you do sixty? No, I can do six. <laughs> I'll do six, and then give me the other fifty four on credit. All right. Yeah. Wait. Take your bike rack for the last last fifty four miles. <laughs> All right. Lastly, this I know you'll like this tweet because we both know this guy and we know how quirky he is. <laughs> John Feinstein tweeted out a tweet. I just, I said, wait, what? What? <laughs> you ready for this one? Yeah. Feinstein. Now it can be told, been a brutal week. Had a stent put into my heart Friday, parentheses, better than another round of bypass. Then today had jury duty. Was potential juror on three-day case, but was struck by prosecutor. Thank you, sir. Off to Jane's swim practice. Feel wonderful on all counts. The fact that Junior puts heart stent surgery with a mere three-day juror stint is pure Feinstein. Yeah. Also... Wait, 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 it sounds like it was a NASCAR pit stop. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> On my way to the courtroom, I had a stint put in. I thought you had to be in the hospital for a few days for something like that. And when he says a brutal week, as if anyone was really concerned about John's week, brutal week is like, you know, someone in my family died. Uh, yeah. I was in a major car accident, and now I have a, a cast all the way up to my, you know, my hip or something, and then my house burned down. Right. Just, just having a minor heart procedure and missing. Even if he did three days on jury duty, what else is he doing these days? Well, he does. Uh, he does. He does manage to crank out a lot of stuff. I mean, he's he's always writing. He writes books. books. Yeah, he does commentaries on on CBS. He does probably thirty radio shows across the country. So okay. he is he is cranking out a product, but uh, yeah, that is sort of an odd tweet. Yeah. Well, you know, and I then stopped for a quick stint and got out of jury duty so I could make it to Jane's. But it was practice. a <laughs> but it was a brutal week. And by the way, I got to see my daughter swim practice. So there's that. Yeah. Well, okay. good good for John on that front. Mom All right. Tough, as we uh, say. Are yeah. you go are you going to try to go to either one of the home games for uh, the Stanley Cup final? 
No, okay. no. I mean, uh, the the station has all the credentials for the the stars, like you know, Grant Paulson and people like that. So uh, I, uh, I, you know, did look, you want to get a credential to go yeah, as media? Okay, I would go. But but I also you got to remember this: the last time they were in the Stanley Cup Finals, HD hadn't been invented yet. I know, and HD is so good because you get a million replays from a million angles. That shows exactly what the puck did. It nicked off this guy. It hit a skate here. Ooh, look at that. You don't yeah. get that in the building even. You get like one or two replays in the building, but that's it. Yeah, yeah look, the, the, and the ratings, the television rating, a lot, a lot of it has to do with the caps, but a 16 is, is like tickling a Redskin regular season game. That's yeah, Redskin games remarkable. locally are 20s, and I can't wait to see what last night's was. Probably an 18-plus and then yeah. the home games will be very good as well. So it'll be fun yeah. times in D.C. to be sure. All right, Andy, do you want to plug anything right now? Andy's D.C. podcast can be had on iTunes, even though uh, so, you know, you're not putting out as many episodes lately. Right. There's a lot of back episodes of yeah, D.C. The, the sports legends them, that you definitely right. need to go back and listen to this summer. The, the, yeah, that's right. That's it's summer catch up because they're all what we call in the business evergreen. I go through the life story of all the famous people I've talked to. So there's nothing that's really dated in any of them. We are currently seeking more sponsorship and hoping to come back relatively soon. But at the moment, uh, nothing really is being put out in terms of new content. But there's about 30 episodes to catch up on if you want to. Beautiful. Andy Poland's DC podcast. Andy, thank you. Great night last night in D.C. sports history. Hopefully more great nights to come. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Zach. We'll end with this today. I'm sure by now you have seen the photo and heard about the visit of Kim Kardashian visiting the White House and meeting with the president himself, Donald J. Trump, in the Oval Office. There's a photograph of Donald Trump sitting at the Oval Office desk. Ms. Kardashian is standing next to him. Uh, He is smiling. She is somewhat serious. And you look at the photo and just say to yourself, what if I was coming out of a coma from, say, 2012? Let's say right after Obama got reelected. The country is pretty normal. They've given a vote of confidence to the man in charge that, you know, the last four years weren't great, but we're, we're down for another four. Normal political gravity applies. And you see this photo and you're like, what is this? Is this a new show? Is this Keeping Up with the Kardashians meets The Apprentice? And what is that really accurate looking fake set of the Oval Office? What? He's the president? The fuck how? And then you say, and Kim Kardashian was given a visit, an actual to talk what? Prison prison reform the new york post has the best headline as they always do tabloid headline writers are the best it says under a banner the other big ass summit uh get it you know not just the korean summit the other big ass summit kim thong un visits the white house to pitch prison reform and the monster 76 point type bold headline is simply trump Meets the rump. Classic. Of course, Kanye, buttering up to the prez, had to have had something to do with this kind of access, don't you think? Of course. Now, is it good policy to be taking advice 
from a vapid, uh, bootylicious, uh, B-level, B-level, C-level celebrity. I don't know what level she is. She may be A-level. I don't know. She has no discernible talent, Kim Kardashian. She doesn't sing, doesn't dance, doesn't act. Um, I guess she has a talent for making money. That's a talent. I'll give her that. She's not talentless. But anyway, is it good policy to actually take any of her advice? Uh, well, it depends on who prepared the advice for her and how she was briefed. She could have just been the buxom conduit to get it in front of the president. Either way, it doesn't matter because for Trump, it's a win. It is a win. To be seen as worthy of being uh, of meeting, uh, having a serious meeting by even a B-list celebrity like Kim Kardashian is a win for the president because it helps normalize him and it helps make inroads to other parts of the popular culture. We are now in an age in which we have, we have a celebrity president, and I think for the rest of my lifetime, we will have a string of, if not pure celebrity presidents, quasi-celebrity presidents. The days, I think, of electing sleepy senators or governors uh, that are career politicians to the highest office in the land, I think those are over, uh, no matter what party is in power. I think those days are over. And do I think it's good for the country? Uh, You'd be surprised to know that I don't think it's necessarily any worse, per se. You know, it. uh, a lot of these governors and a lot of these politicians that rise up to be president, they're not cut from this perfect sheet of steel and fiber and moral certitude that makes them great leaders. They're just fucking politicians. So depending on the celebrity, you know, could actually be uh, a good thing. Ronald Reagan was a celebrity president. I kind of forgot that. Okay, so anyway, it's a win for the president. Just like it's a win when uh, Trump allegedly told Jerry Jones on a phone call, and this came out in the testimony of depositions that the owners had to give in the Kaepernick collusion case. Apparently the president told Jerry, uh, this is a win for me. He's like, this is a very strong issue. You can't win this one. Trump saw an easy issue on which he knew at least 50-plus percent of the country agreed with him regarding you should stand for the anthem respectfully no matter what. And he saw that issue, he picked it up, and he started bashing away on the NFL. It's a win for him. He claimed the high ground, and you can't beat the high ground. And no matter if you hate Trump, you have to analyze the transaction as that was a win for him. It continues to be a win for him, and the NFL continues to lose on that front. If only the league would have hired a CEO slash commissioner with uh, a salary that was attractive and had deep experience in other areas of business or crisis management. Oh, wait, what? Oh, they do pay a lot of money for a CEO commission. Well, then why couldn't he handle it? Oh, that's right, because he does have no experience in business or crisis management beyond the NFL. Good job, Roger. You're killing it. Bottom line is, the Chinese have a saying, may you live in interesting times. Hold on a second. Let me accent. May you live in interesting times. Don't ask me what it means. It means what it means. Just think about it. May you live in interesting times. Does that mean good times? Bad times? What, what is- Just let it soak in. Because I think we are in those times. 
That will be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends and hit up that Reddit thread about how great this thing is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe to all the major podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Overcast, and more. And always remember, this is as young as you and I will ever be, so it's time to start acting like it. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.